He is 0 for 17, Flores, against Max Scherzer lifetime. And now a strike away. Giants have been defying odds all season long. Both teams, 109 wins. One is going home. No balls, two strikes. And Flores, did he go? He did! And the game ends! A swinging strike three! Gabe Morales rings him up. The game is over. And the Los Angeles Dodgers are headed to the National League Championship Series. Hi, this is Emily Nyman, and you're listening to Breaking Balls. Welcome to episode 82 of Breaking Balls. I'm your host, Emily Nyman. I'm joined by my co-host, John Snyder. You can find us on Twitter, at BreakBallsPod. Or if you're feeling brassy, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call, 631-820-7377. Last we left everybody, it was a nail-biter, game five of the second NLDS, the Dodgers versus the Giants, and drumroll please... The Dodgers won game five. I know that's obvious because we are now in fucking game five of the next series, but that's how weekly podcasts go. What do you want me to tell you? I mean, well, yeah, it's obviously this is on a slight delay from that, and we're about to talk about the series that's happening now. But the way that one ended just Oof. bears some bringing up. First and foremost, I, I can't I can't help but be a Mets homer for a second. Why did it have to be Wilmer? <laughs> At least he didn't cry. It's one of those things where, like, it's not Wilmer's fault at all that they lost that game, but it's the same kind of thing like like Beltron in 2006, right? It was it's just like, Mets he, magic. He didn't lose that game, but he was just, he happened to be in the box when that game ended. Same thing with Wilmer, man. I mean, let me just throw this out there. He did not swing. No, he Sorry, absolutely Gabe did Morales, not. Sorry, Gabe Morales, he did not swing. He absolutely did not swing, and... These things don't happen in a vacuum. Anything can happen if that call doesn't go that way. Was anything going to happen? Probably not. Scherzer was in to close the game, 0-2 right. count. But it's so typical of Major League Baseball for that series to end. First of all, for that series to be that series, that those two teams meet in the divisional series and not in the league championship series is typical MLB. And then the cherry on top was the post-series conversation being about the fucking umpire. Once again, I mean, we had to consciously, and by we, I mean Emily, had to rein me back for making (laughs) this episode too heavily about the umpires again because we're just giving them more airtime and we don't want to do that. Like, everyone knows that they're bad at this point. They know, we know, we can measure it. We, We talked about all this. And then, of course, the second that we finished recording last week's episode, Ragging on the Umps, Probably the worst instance of the entire postseason <laughs> happened. So, yeah, here we are. I mean, that's classic breaking balls as well. That, like, we say it's something, we, we harp on it, and then something either the opposite or, in this case, even more so than what we were harping on happens. So you guys have that to look forward to. Once this episode concludes, think of the things that we've talked about and then just assume <laughs> something will change as soon as this is finished. But yeah, man, you know, going back to the end of that game, Scherzer has historically owned Flores. So you're 100% right. Like, you know, 0-2 against Scherzer. We all knew how that was going to end. Even if it was a legit check swing, it wouldn't feel gross like this. So it's just circumstantial. I mean, it also feels a little gross 
that a team that wins 108 games is out in the first round, but that's baseball, Susan. Everybody's playing under the same rules here. You know, I mean, you can complain about it if you want, but fact is the Dodgers were the better team that night, or rather the umps thought that they were the better team that night, <laughs> and, uh, and they moved on. And that wasn't the end of the ump drama, because we'll get into the series in a moment, but the other day, so game four of the ALCS. Now, this is Houston versus the Red Sox. Ivaldi was on the mound. It was a close game at this point. It was, I don't know, 2-1 or 2 nothing, something along those lines. <laughs> now, I know it's the 268th pitch of the game because Jeff Passan wrote a diatribe about this the next day. <laughs> the umpire gets a call wrong. It should have been a strike. It was called a ball. And then, you know, the dominoes fell after that. The yada, yada, yada. The Red Sox end up losing that, that game 12 to 3. The reason this was fucking annoying is, listen, these calls are terrible. It's frustrating as a fan, frustrating as a team, whatever. It happens all game, in every game, and in particular, as we talked about last week, in the postseason. This postseason has been particularly bad. I don't know if it's because we've all been, like, acutely aware of the umpires more so than ever, I feel like, as of late. But either way, with that being said, it happens. Jeff Passan acted like this was the worst possible thing that could have happened to the Red Sox. He wrote an entire article about it. Well, I mean, also, I saw... I don't think it was you, but I saw somebody point out too. compare that with going back to the Giants Dodgers series, how he covered that travesty was with a single sentence. I don't have it in front of me. I think it was just something like, you know, Wilmer didn't swing. It's like, really? You get that and then you get like your SATs essay for the fucking other <laughs> series. Are you kidding? And it's not even because something similar happened in the White Sox Astros series. And I remember when the Astros fans were complaining about it, I was kind of getting on them like, listen, that didn't then cause the Astros to give up six runs. Like, I get things don't happen in a vacuum, whatever. But my issue is that Passan is locked into the baseball world. He is the guy. He is constantly knowing what's going on. So he couldn't zoom out a little bit and maybe collectively realize that, hey, the umpires are the story after every single game, almost. Every game some side of the fan base is complaining about a call, saying it changed the game. So why isn't that the story? And when is it going to be the story? Like, what is with, like, the Iron Curtain that is protecting the umpires union? Like, what the fuck is going on? Brief aside, I realized I very specifically dated myself there, talking about the SAT essay, because it didn't <laughs> used to exist, and I was the first year that they did that, and they realized that it sucked, and they got rid of it eventually. It's okay, and you dated me, because they didn't even have the essay when I was in high school. That was after I graduated. I, I know, that's what I said. I, I was literally the first time that they did it, and it was a travesty. Speaking of travesties, uh, well, don't really need a segue. We're on the same thing. but um, <laughs> Segway back. But going back to Passon, it, it comes off almost a little lazy for someone of his stature, you know, within the baseball world, to write a piece about how, oh, the umpires are the story. You write the stories, bro. You're writing the story about the umpires <laughs> being the story. Try harder, find the angle, like make it so that it's not, I mean, it just it's it just seems like, just like everyone's like, oh yeah, okay, let me just write this and complain about it. It's part of the problem. It's cyclical, you know what I mean? Right, because no one's putting pressure on the league. And I get it. These guys are all carrying water for the league. We see it 
all season. We're about to see it even more so now that we're going into the offseason in a few weeks. And of course, the CBA is going to expire on December 1st. Whether or not they are able to negotiate and sign a new one by them, we don't know. But we do know that guys like Pass and Rosenthal, their interests are clearly with the league more often than not. So it leaves fans in this frustrating position of knowing that something is wrong and it ends up coming out on the umpires. And I'm not trying to defend them per se, but they're not trying to fuck up. Gabe Morales isn't trying to make a wrong call to end that game. They have to make these snap decisions, so sometimes it's not right. But they're in a lose-lose situation because the game has evolved past umpires and the human eye in that we expect them to call balls and strikes like as if it's not the fucking most difficult thing in the world to differentiate balls and strikes. It's even more ridiculous that he chose to harp on the missed, you know, ball strike whatever call versus Gabe Morales. Like, that's an entirely extra level to me of, you know that this is a potential game ending call. Like, you need to be aware of like, am I so sure that I'm going to end an entire playoff series on this call? None of those balls and strikes, those were all mid-game. And as you correctly pointed out, that shit happens all game long. For me, it's like when you watch football, it's like, oh, there was holding that play. Oh, really? Slow down the tape. Every goddamn play there's holding. You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, But yeah, so it's just like that spot, especially. It's like you got to have that extra level of awareness of like, man, you better be damn sure that guy swung if you're going to end a 108-win team season on that call. I don't know, man. One of these things is not like the other as far as I'm concerned. No, and I mean, we're just going to, there's going to be more of it as the uh, no, no, series I'm progress. No, no, I'm not done. I'm no, actually, we can move on. That's fine. <laughs> so it seemed like the Red Sox were about to run away with the series. It, they seemed unstoppable. Of course, that changed overnight as baseball is wont to do. And now they are going back to Houston. Houston leads three to two in that series. And the momentum has definitely swung their way at this point. Do we have to say, like, no pun intended when we talk about swinging, talking about baseball? I, I don't know. A- I mean, anyway. the title of the podcast is a pun in and of itself, so I feel like that just comes with the territory. Wait, that's been a joke this entire time? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, the story of the ALCS for me is home runs. Home runs, home runs, home runs. I mean, starting off with the fact that the Red Sox kicked that series off with three grand slams in two games. Insane. And, you know, that you pointed out to me that pattern continues of, very simply, the teams that are hitting more home runs are winning games. And there's only been one or two where that hasn't been the case this postseason. Yeah, as it stands right now, obviously we don't know the outcome of Game 5 of the NLCS, but teams that hit more home runs this postseason than their opponent are 18-1. and That is not a coincidence. Wow. Now the questions have stopped that the momentum has switched back to the Astros. But the first few games there, I was seeing a lot of people wondering, how are the Red Sox doing this? How were they this middle, well, as far as some of the teams in the postseason are concerned, like a middling seeming team, a 92-win team, no one expected anything. How were they coming to the postseason and just looking like an unstoppable juggernaut that they were? And the answer is because that's why getting to the postseason is everything. That teams like the Red Sox, they were built similarly to our our Yankees in that they were streaky as fuck. They couldn't maintain any sort of real win streak and they would have losing streaks mixed in there that would last a little bit longer than we wanted as fans. But they were able to win enough games to get to the postseason and then 
those streaky teams, all they have to do is be hot. So as we know, home runs win games and they win games in the postseason. So a team like the Red Sox is just built just to get here. Is there a chance that they could be cold as ice when they get to the postseason and then just completely peter out, lose to the Yankees? Yes, of course. But when those teams are hot, they run just as much of a chance of winning the entire fucking thing as basically any team in the show at that time. Well, yeah, you know, it comes down to giving yourself a chance. And you probably saw this too. It made the rounds that, you know, the top 10 teams in terms of balls hit in the air versus bottom 10 teams that are all hitting ground balls. And there is a pretty strong, not quite one-to-one, but a pretty damn strong correlation between the teams that put the ball in the air and the teams that were in the postseason. You know, so that's that's what it comes down to for me is the Red Sox are built for this. Like you said, never a sure thing, could be cold, all that. But if that's your strategy in general, you get hot at the right time, that's how you win a World Series. And something Look I at loved- the Nationals in 2019, folks. I mean, come on. <laughs> exactly. And something I loved about this series is, you guys know I love the theatrics, I love the bat flips, I love all that shit, especially in the postseason. In one of the first two games of this series, I believe it was the second game? No, the first game, because the Astros won that game at home. Carlos Correa hit a go-ahead home run in the late innings, and he just simply hit the home run, dropped his bat, and then pointed to the dugout and just tapped his wrist and said, it's my time, as he went to run around the bases. It was awesome, amazing. Then, flash forward to Boston, Eduardo Rodriguez threw a fucking gem in game three, and when he was taken out of that game, he's walking towards the Red Sox dugout, getting a very nice ovation from the home drunk crowd. (laughs) And he then pointed at his wrist and said, it's my time. Normally, this would be a huge affront in the baseball world, but... Carlos Correa was asked about it after the game. And you know what he had to say, John? Um, he, did, he did my celebration. I thought it was kind of cool. Um, <laughs> it's just it's just the way baseball should, should trend moving forward. You know, we talk about making baseball fun. We talk about baseball, you know, growing and more people coming to watch the sport. You know, you need things like that. You need, you need, you need to let the players have fun. And, uh, you know, I loved it personally. I think uh, the, game, the game should move in that direction where you can show emotions and you can be yourself and you can keep it real. There is a lot of, you know, in the media, whenever you ask me questions, I, I, I keep it real all the time and I say how it is. And there's a lot of fakeness out there, that the cliche answers that you get. And I feel like players should be more real and players should be able to express themselves and have fun. So I love every single bit of it. He pitched a great game. He threw six innings, struck out like seven. I mean, he was nasty. His fastball come out was, was, was great. So whenever you have a great performance of that against, you know, the number one offensive team there were a season who... We were the number one offensive team in the season. You can do whatever you want, and you should have fun with it. He loved it. He didn't act like a fucking baby. There wasn't someone on the Red Sox and hit with a pitch the next day. There wasn't any play the game the right way. It was, you know what, the game needs more of this, and I fucking love it. It was his time. He pitched a great game, and it's like, yeah, is that so hard, everybody? Was that so hard? Is anyone hurt from this? Well, to be fair, he's going to be changing his tune if he does that with Erod next year when Correa is on the Yankees. Oh my God, your fucking mouth to the baseball god's ear is on that one. And speaking of the Yankees, I had the realization the other night. Now, as we had mentioned last week, and everyone's mentioning a thousand times during the ALCS, the Astros have been to five straight ALCS. Gross. The only times that they've advanced to the World Series have been when they play the Yankees in the ALCS. So as it stands now, they've only beaten the Yankees in the ALCS. So until they prove me wrong, 
That means the Astros show out for the Yankees and then they just sort of putter to a, a complete stop against every other team that they play in the ALCS. Well, I mean, do you want to be proven right or wrong on this? I'm not sure. <laughs> Dude, I mean, I don't even know at this point. I'm cheering against <laughs> every team that's playing. So by the time the end of the game comes around for any game, I'm just like totally haggard. Like, uh, I didn't want anyone this to is, win. This is like the player haters ball all over again. <laughs> oh, man. Hey, 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 man, you corny. As we mentioned before, the Dodgers and the Braves are in the middle of Game 5. The Braves lead the series three games to one. And if you're listening, you think that that sounds familiar. It's because it does. It is familiar. (laughs) This is a matchup of last year's NLCS, and the Braves led the Dodgers three games to one in last year's NLCS. And it did not turn out so great for them that year. And it's almost seeming like there might be a repeat of that. Yeah, you know, I was initially going to ask, like, what the fuck happened to the Dodgers this series? They just, like, fell asleep. But history does repeat itself sometimes, so I'll be curious to see if they can do it. But right now, it's bottom six. They're up 6-2. My favorite little thing that I saw tonight was, so Chris Taylor had a two-run home run. He now has eight RBI in elimination games this postseason, which is the most all-time for any Dodger in a single postseason. So could it be that the momentum is switching back? Do the Braves know that, like, oh, shit, is this happening all over again, like Groundhog Day for them? The Braves took an early lead in this game. They uh, The Dodgers had an opener. Joe Kelly started the game, and he promptly gave up two runs. Uh, Freddie wah, Freeman wah. hit a two-run home run. And then the very next inning, or no, the second inning, Max Freed, the starter for the Braves, he also choked and then gave up uh, the lead. So by the end of the, like the second or third inning, the Dodgers were winning 4-2. And as soon as they took that lead back, like right away, in my head popped the scene from uh, Lord of the Rings, right as it starts raining and the orcs get to Helm's Deep. <laughs> and the king of uh, Rohan is like... So it and so it begins. That so was immediately begins. my thought. I was like, here it comes. The Dodgers are now just going to win the next fucking three games. I, I, I almost like don't want to comment because like I keep being wrong about the Braves because of course I keep being wrong about the Braves. So like <laughs> I'm going to say that the Dodgers are coming back, which means that the Braves are going to the World Series. So I am not going to make that prediction. I am not going to do that to myself. The only stake I ha- I mean, I said last week, I just, I don't care about any of these teams. Well, in a positive way. I'm not, I don't want <laughs> yeah, any of these teams. Let's clarify. So uh, I, I am fully on the just anybody but the Braves train right now. Red Sox, Astros, Dodgers, whatever. Just keep the Braves away, please. An unlikely hero for the Braves is actually the guy who's been unreal this series, Eddie Rosario, who they picked up at the trade deadline. Now, listen to his slash line for the NLCS. As, this is before tonight's game. So this is for the first four games. 588. Batting average, 632 on base, 1.059 slug for a 1.690 OPS. This guy has been absolutely fire. They cannot get him out. And that in and of itself is a great story. It's such a baseball story because we talk about it all the time that every man gets his shot in this game. Every team has 27 outs. So anyone can really be the hero in a baseball game or even in a series. Well, and can I be honest? Like, I blinked and missed that Eddie Rosario was on the Braves. Like, I, I, right. I, kept, I kept, like, getting confused. Like, I'm seeing him in these games, and I'm like, 
Eddie Rosario's on the Indians. Like, when did this? I must have missed it because it was such a you know end of the season type thing. Yeah, and they traded him for uh, Pablo Sandoval, who was totally useless at this point. I was gonna say bag of balls, but yeah, basically at this point. Yeah, it looks like a bag of balls at the end of the day. <laughs> and that's a great story in and of itself. But of course. In classic broadcaster fashion, during this game tonight, now Eddie Rosario got on base again, so they're talking about him. Brian Anderson, he has to shoehorn in there for some reason. They're talking about how great Rosario's been. They talk about the circumstances of his trade. And the fact that they traded him for Pablo Sandoval should say it all. That's the kind of player he is. Brian Anderson feels the need to say, and quote, that Rosario is an upper-level hitter and player. No, he is not. Why? Why do they insist? Like, why does Eddie Rosario have to be suddenly an elite player? Can't they lean into the fact that he's not an elite player? He's basically a nobody, but he's showing out for his team. And that's what makes this game great. It's not always the fucking superstars. Well, and listen, let's just remember, if not for the fact that this was a national gig and it's not his, you know, it's not a security blanket. It's not his normal job. Ron Darling would have stomped all over that bullshit because you know Ron Darling is not here for any Brave. But I digress. My last little thing about the uh, Braves and uh, Dodgers, it's, it's one of the unsung matchups. I'm going to get on my little soapbox here for just a second if that's quite all right. Oh, wait, we get off of our soapbox at yeah, some point Yeah, who am I kidding? You're episodes? all listening to me talk, so yeah, here we are. Stand on an all-fucking episode. The, the, the real matchup, because, you know, I, I hate the Braves. The real matchup of this series for me is... Dieter Ruhle versus Matthew Kaminsky. And you probably don't recognize those names, which is a shame and you should be embarrassed. Uh, <laughs> those are the organists for the Dodgers and the Braves, respectively. Now, I bring that up only because most ballparks don't have an organist. And this is one of several issues that, yes, I will die on this hill. Baseball is better with an organist. They can react to the crowd in real time. These guys are awesome. They're, you can follow them on Twitter. Uh, they take requests in real time during the game, so you can shout out a song to them, and you know, you'll hear it later in the game. And it's really just my roundabout way of saying... <laughs> Uncle Stevie, you're the richest owner in baseball. You're worth north of $14 billion. And I still have to go to a Mets game and 30 times a game, rather than hearing some moment-appropriate, you know, professional accompaniment, I hear everybody, everybody clap, clap your, your hands. hands. Oh my God, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it's cringy, and there's no reason why. The Mets used to have, I can't remember uh, who it was. The Mets used to have an organist. The Yankees have an organist. But yeah, so I just wanted to give them a quick shout out. It's unfortunately not as popular as it should be in baseball, but baseball organists, get one for your team. Before we move on, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to Cody Bellinger, who was totally useless during the season to the point <laughs> that Dodger fans were like, he should go down to AAA. And it's like, the guy has won a fucking MVP. They're not sending him to AAA. Okay, so here's a quick example of why ballpark organists are awesome. Do you know what Matthew Kaminsky played when, uh, when Bellinger was coming up to bat? What? Puff the Magic Dragon. Little shit like that. It's great. And that's perfect because Bellinger, he looks higher than anyone I've ever seen. And I've been high before and looked in the fucking mirror. <laughs> and it played perfectly into, so he hit a game tying three run home run the other night. It was electric, the crowd went crazy. I, I've been really happy for him that he's been breaking out of his season long slump during the postseason. 
So flash forward to the post game though, after they beat the Giants. Cody Bellinger's being interviewed, and Logan Webb, as everyone knows, he pitched that game, and he had pitched previously in the series. He was unbelievable both games, lights out. And the reporter asked Bellinger about this, and Bellinger replies, Huge props to Logan Webb, man. That is it's really hard to hit him. I mean, he, he shoved it up our butt uh, twice. First of all, the fact that he went through with that quote on live television, and second of all, he, like, hesitated and you could tell that he knew what he was about to say probably isn't the thing to say, right. but <laughs> he could not come up with anything else to fill that airtime. So he was like, fuck it, I just have to say it. And I was sitting there like, I can't believe I just heard that on TV. It was so innocent and it was so Jeff Spicoli-like that it wasn't anything like, it wasn't gross or anything, even though it kind of is. It was just like, what the fuck? But then on the other end of that spectrum, and I can't believe I'm about to give credit to a brave here, <laughs> Do you see Jock Peterson's response when they were asking him about that home run? Talk about that <clears throat> swing on the home run, keeping your hands in. It looked like a really hard pitch that hit for a home run, high inside. Yeah, I just, I'm a pretty good player, so I don't know. <laughs> I just knocked it out the yard. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a pretty good player. <laughs> Yeah, what do you want me to say? This is my job, and I'm good at it. You almost want to throw a bone to the beat writers because they have to ask these absolutely asinine questions. And I know that sounds like I'm throwing a bone adjacent to Marley, and I guess I kind of am. But, man, I can't imagine having to be, like, on the mic and just be like, so do you think that that was a good hit? Like, I, they have to just be dying inside sometimes when they ask these questions. Yeah, but then on the other hand, I come back to, like, with the with the passing thing. It's like, you're the reporter, Come up with a better question. Be creative. Like, don't stop mailing it in. And then blabbing, oh, well, what else am I going to ask them about? There's 162 games. I don't know. Be better at your job. That's true. I'm acting like the editor is like, you get down there and you ask him if he likes baseball or not. <laughs> Some really, really encouraging news has come out of Major League Baseball this week. They announced that they will be paying for all minor league baseball housing. This is a good thing in the long run. It's not the eventual goals, obviously, get these guys real salaries so they could just afford their own housing. But this takes a lot of stress off of these guys. And they're not, they don't have to live in one room apartments or in vans or anything anymore. And shout out to the Astros for leading the charge. They paid for minor league housing this year. And you knew that that was going to be the first domino, that the league definitely felt pressure from that. And you just hope that it's not stipend and it's actual. Just here's where you're going to live, not here's some money, go find a place to live. Right. And, and not alone that, I think it's important to stay vigilant as fans, right? Because like on the one hand, yes, change is often incremental and this should absolutely be celebrated. And, you know, to whatever extent the league deserves credit for doing this, I'll give it to them. But it's also it would be very MLB to like, all right, this is it. You know what I mean? Like, not like the salary increases that they deserve, like not all the other stuff that's on the docket. Just say like, oh, well, we gave them housing. What else do you want? So, you know, it's important to stay hungry. You know, don't just accept this because the league can do more. Make no mistake about that. They are, you know, the fact that they're doing this is good, but they can definitely afford to do more. They can afford that investment. And they're only really doing this because of public pressure. You know, so we got to keep that pressure on them to continue, you know, just give these minor leaguers what they deserve. They're making so many sacrifices. The least the league can do is help support them. 
And to take it even further, unfortunately, there's no altruism in it at all because this is also most likely a good PR move because the CBA negotiations are going on as we speak. So it's like, hey, look, at we're good guy MLB. So anything that you hear about us is not us. It's the big bad players right. and they're fucked up. You mean us, the ones that just housed our minor leaguers? And that's something that I, this is going to sound really stupid. But I'm going to admit it to to John and to but all we're of you listening. going to push through. Yeah, I'm going <laughs> to just talk through it. I didn't even, and it makes sense now, but I didn't even consider that the CBA negotiations happen before the contract expires because the point is to have another contract in place that will then slide right. in on December 1st. And sense. the work stoppage happens if they don't have something in place on December 1st when the current one expires. And my mind was fucking blown when I heard this the other day. And it was definitely a moment of like, well, yeah, now that I think about it, no shit. But I was like, wait, they're already happening, these negotiations, huh? <laughs> they're not even going to wait for the postseason to be over? <laughs> I put my life on hold until this thing ends. So the CBA is on its way out, but you know who is on his way back in? Aaron fucking Boone. He was just given a three-year contract by the New York Yankees to be their manager, and a lot of people are very upset with this. Count me as one of the... No, I'm kidding. I don't care. You know, they fired They fired another coach, I think the first base coach today, so they cleaned house around Boone. Obviously, I, they're going to re, restock. They're going to hire new <laughs> staff. He's going to pick new coaches or whatever, and they're going to get new players. Cashman had a pretty long press conference the other day where he stated that he didn't believe Boone to be the problem. He believes him to be part of the solution. And at the end of the day, the players just did not play well. And he's not wrong in that assessment. There were a lot of players who just completely underperformed all season. So he made it clear that they're going to make a move on the shortstop market. And hopefully they get someone like Story or Correa and not fucking Andrelton Simmons. So I am a little nervous about that. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, and I mean, I think it comes back to what we talked about last week with Boone, which is like, yeah, Yankees fans are eager for a change, that feeling of like, because, you know, different implies infinite possibilities, right? Because you don't different know Different is yet. better. Nothing, right, yeah. Different is always better. No, it's not. Um, and so it's one of those things like, you know, I, I go back to the Mets. Surprise, surprise. You know, we got rid of Rojas, right? Or rather didn't renew his contract. And if you were to ask the question, well, who would be better than Rojas? No disrespect to Louie, but a lot of guys. You look at Boone, it's like, all right, you get rid of Boone, hypothetically. Who's better than Boone? Like, who are you going to get to replace him? That's a much shorter list. You know what I mean? Like, Boone, like him or hate him, you know, whatever blame you want to put on him for whatever decisions, yada, 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 whatever. The guy is very competent at his job. And it's a very hard job. It's a very nuanced job. So, you know, I can't, to whatever extent my opinion matters, which I'm torn between, I'm not a Yankee fan, so it doesn't matter. But again, you're listening to me talk about it. So, um, <laughs> no, it, it just seems like, it seems like a rational decision. You know, give him, it, it's kind of having your cake and eating it too a little bit, right? Like give the Yankee fans much of a fresh start, lots of new faces in the coaching staff, but the players, we keep coming back to, the players clearly like Boone. And that's huge. When you have Boone's acumen and uh, competence and the players like him, you know, three years, was it three years with an option, I think they gave him? Yeah, for three four? years with an option. That seems like a safe bet, man. And hey, let's keep in mind, too, he's a manager. So if things go real south, 
they'll fire his ass before the contract is up. Like, there's nothing stopping them from doing that. So, take a deep breath, Yankee Universe. I think you guys are going to be just fine with Boone. One thing that Cashman said that kind of, it was like, you know that Ice Cube gif where he's like laughing i think it's from friday and like moving his head and then all of a sudden it's like huh like at the end like oh laughing, I, th- laughing. I think what? i know what you're gonna say cashman is saying all these things and he seem he's seemingly hitting all the right spots and saying the right things and then he comes out with i just want to say that hal steinbrenner you know it's not his fault and, and he's you know for someone who's investing as much money as he is he shouldn't you know that shouldn't be a question he's putting in a lot of money and it was clearly a company man line, oh, like, yeah. I'm with you, boss. They? And, like, me and you, boss, forever. But it was just like, this is what you fucking say right now? Fuck Hal Steinbrenner and all the money that he spends. Like, give me a fucking break. Agreed. But you know why he did it, right? Because he just saw Boone get extended for three years. This was Cashman's way of extending himself for three years. <laughs> Suck off the boss publicly. Get it out there. He, it's cringy as fuck, but you know what? That dude's going to be around for another five years now. I love thinking of like Cashman at the podium with a list of things that he wants to talk about. And he's just checking them off like, all right, shortstop, boom, (laughs) suck off Steinbrenner. So just super briefly, I mean, it feels like we're in a holding pattern talking about the Mets, which, yes, we're we're doing it again. Sorry. Um, (laughs) No, but there's this. It's been annoying. The only reason I wanted to bring this up, it's been annoying with the media. The media is often annoying with the Mets. And they, I think, I don't want to come off whiny here, but I think you'd agree with me that they sometimes get the short end of the stick of the media. The LOL Mets thing, it's lazy and it's easy. And it's, you know, it's there. Sometimes for right, but not always. And this is one of those cases where the Mets are really getting dragged in the media for, you know, they went after Theo Epstein, they went after Billy Bean and Bob Melvin, and they haven't gotten any of them. The media is dragging them for this, but I think it's really important to remember, like, the fact that they're even going for these guys, which, let's keep in mind, were very unrealistic. Theo Epstein wants to own a team, so that's not happening. Billy Bean came out and said, he kind of tried to, I don't know if it worked, but he tried to dispel some of the rumors you know, of, of the Mets job somehow not being attractive. He was basically saying like, listen, I'm at an age and position where, you know, he doesn't need this gig and his family comes first. But he's like to suggest that working as the president of baseball operations or the GM for the Mets under Steve Cohen with that purse is not an attractive position is insane. You know, so it's easy to say like, oh, look, all these big guys don't want to come to the Mets. The Mets are shooting their shot with some unrealistic big names. And the fact that they're even doing that this never would have happened under the Will Ponds. It would have been some guy you've never heard of, and it may still wind up being some guy we've never heard of. But I don't know. There's at least a sense of of competence of like, you know, hey, let's start big. If we can get these guys, great. If not, eh, what are you going to do? It probably wasn't going to happen. And then go down the list from there. And all, all the media, of course, is making it seem like as if we are at the end of March and approaching the regular season yeah, and the, the Mets don't have someone in over. place. Exactly. Exactly. The season's not even fucking over and they're acting like as if the Mets don't have anybody. What are they going to do? It's like uh they're going to continue their search over the next fucking 5 months like every other team would. And it's like, you know, it, with the whole Zach Scott thing, the Mets were not in a position where they're even like, you know, thinking about getting a new GM. He was going to be the guy. And so this is all kind of coming from a place of like they weren't expecting to find themselves here. They're good. They're doing their due diligence, like you know anything. I mean, what really sucks in the New York media is that the Yankees didn't advance in the postseason because now the beat writers are just bored. 
And it's like, okay, the Yankees re-signed Boone. All right, they haven't really done much. What the Mets haven't signed. Like, okay, all right, all right. Yeah, at this point, the Mets have been the whipping boy for so long that yeah. they could win the World Series and the New York media would still find a way to, to spin that into a bad thing or the Mets fucking up or a clown show of some kind. Now, I, I really only want them to win the World Series. You can be proven right there. That's That's fine by me. So speaking about uh, winning and losing and mediocre segues, we have a uh, <laughs> quick update to our postseason classic. It's not drastically different from last week. So if you remember, we were only waiting on the results of the San Francisco Los Angeles series. But a little bit of a shakeup. We're going to go in reverse order again. Again, let's milk this thing for all it's worth, right? <laughs> so in third place, this is a new one. Uh, Johnny has, we're not going to read uh, last names on the air. Johnny has 11 points. In second place, we have a three-way tie between Quinn, Rob, and Nick oh, at damn. 13. Yeah, Nick did not gain any points, so uh, now he's got some company there. And sitting at number one, Sam, I'm sorry, buddy. You got some company now. We got Sam and Danny B. from Manchester, England, as we said last week. That's his <laughs> full name. Um, tied at 16. Now this is really now these are when I say these are the front runners there's a good chance they're going to get it because let's just say some of the teams that they picked to go to the World Series are still very much in it so there's still some points to be had for those two but not the same points so I think this time next week we're going to have a much clearer idea of who's going to be winning the custom JBL breaking ball speaker And we also have a very clear picture of who won the Stanisolo Cup because, as you all remember, it was hinging on the winner of the Giants-Dodgers series. The Dodgers took that, so yours truly took the cup. I get to build it and house it and feed it until our next... Can I just say, it, it's kind of fucked up that you haven't built it yet. Like, it almost kind of implies, like, I don't even care about this thing. I'll build it whenever. <laughs> oh, this old thing? I'm going to hang on to it. You know, it's it's literally, it's sitting here on the desk, not two feet from where I sit for our production <laughs> meetings. You want to tell me that that is not planned? Get the fuck out of here. Next week, it's just going to be closer to the keyboard. It's just, it's so just closer and closer. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't touch that thing. Ooh, spooky. And on that note, let's get right into the voicemails. Our first voicemail is from Bubak. John, M, DJ, it's Bubak. Listening to the newest episode right now, um, and I have to jump in on a V-mail. Otherwise, if I wait till the middle of the week, it's going to get sloppy, and I'm going to forget. Here is my reasoning. Here's my, uh, um, my logic behind. I'm not rooting for anybody in the ALCS, but here is my logic if I had to. Uh, I, I would have to maybe root for the Strohs just because um, 15 years down the road, let's say 15 years down the road and there's another, uh, there's an ALCS Yankees Red Sox um, and Red Sox win. Let's just, this is hypothetical now and Red Sox win uh, or let's say Yankees win. Um, there's going to be some argument even 20, 25, 30 years down the road. Uh, there's going to be argument with, I like to get into, uh, I'm, 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 I don't know how you say it. I'm a, I'm a hater that, uh, that likes to talk sometimes. 
Uh, so if it's a Red Sox fan, I'm like, oh, Red Sox, fuck you. And there's 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 some play there, you know. Well, what about in 2021? The 2021 Red Sox. That bullshit. Uh, that's my logic behind behind that. Uh, so if I'm going to have to root for a team in the ALCS, it's going to be the Strokes. Not saying I am. Don't get me wrong. I'm not rooting for the Strokes. But if I had to, hypothetically, it would be the Strokes. Uh, that being said, uh, Braves, uh, they're kind of doing a magical thing. Let's have them win. Win it all. It would be awesome. Uh, that's all I got. I'm long. 204. I'm really long. I'm sorry. I apologize. I love you guys. Boo bucks out. So much later that the old narrator got tired of waiting and they had to hire a new one. Hey, these two calls back to back are getting out of control and, and I, I, I have myself to blame real quick. You can't say that, that the Astros probably, I, nobody said that, but, but saying that the Astros probably aren't cheating anymore. Think about it. Dusty Baker is what, like 100 years old? He still wears latex gloves in the fucking dugout like a I don't know, germaphobe, Howie Mandel, I don't know. Uh, they could be cheating. Dusty wouldn't fucking know. I mean, hell, he probably doesn't know what happened the day before. Little dementia kicking in. I don't know. Just my take. Love you guys. Boobock. Oh. Boobock, I just have to say I laughed pretty hard that your first voicemail was two minutes of you telling us why you are rooting for the Astros in the series, only to follow it up with the Astros are probably cheating. Yeah, Bubak, I, I got to be honest, buddy. I had a little bit of trouble following all that. Uh, so I'm just going to say, you know, because we're always behind on stuff. So this is as much of an update as Breaking Balls gets. Chris Taylor has now hit his third home run of this game. He becomes the first player ever to hit three home runs in an elimination game. So, Bubak, I hope that answers your question. You did ask a question, right? I don't know. I missed it. Bubak, thank you so much for your call. Our next call is from Quinn. Hey, it's Quinn. First of all, the Cardinals president of baseball operations name's pronounced Mosellock. And second, that whole firing thing, that was really weird because they were talking about possibly extending him or there were rumors that they were in talks to extend him uh, just like four days before that. And then apparently they had a meeting and everything went downhill from there. I, I don't think the him like saying that he was upset was even the weirdest thing because I think the weirdest thing was they had to get special permission from MLB to announce it on the same day as NLDS game five. So they called the press conference like 10 minutes in advance. So there were a bunch of reporters like in their cars and stuff. And so one of them asked Mosellock like, cause they, they said it was like philosophical differences. They didn't go into any details or anything, but they said there were philosophical differences. And one of the reporters who was in his car asked. I guess my question is, if in regards to the term philosophical, I mean, can you explain what I'm missing here, where if you're the boss of somebody and you have a philosophy, why can't you just tell him to do that philosophy? I know that's a very basic thing, but can you respond to that, Mo? Uh, sure. Um, I can tell you to like jump out of your car right now, and you may choose not to. Yeah, it, it just went downhill fast. Now there's two things there that stuck out to me. 
First of all, that was a perfect phone call because of our conversation in the first portion of the episode where that reporter asked that question like, yeah, he did do that. And that's why S.H.I.E.L.D. got fired because he said, I'm not going to follow that. And it's like, <laughs> all right, well, then we're going to part ways. So like, what the fuck kind of question was that even? <laughs> I, I really just think that Mo was trying to get him to jump out of his car and like <laughs> hope it. that it was moving, you know, and just like. Yeah, what if I told you to get out of your car? No, get get out of your car. Get now. out of your car right now. Get out of your car. <laughs> the second thing that stuck out to me is them having to ask permission to release that news during Game 5. And, and it makes sense why they had to do that. But I'm also now wondering, back in 2007, A-Rod opted out of his contract in the middle of the World Series. It was Red Sox versus whoever they were playing, I can't remember. And everyone was, of course, oh, A-Rod making it about himself, blah, blah, I wonder if they had to ask permission for that. Like, I wonder, if, do the teams have different rules or do you think the players are just allowed to do that? Or do you think that, like, Scott Boris had to call the commissioner and be like, can we release this news in the middle of the World Series? If I had to guess, I don't think that they would be under the same restrictions. I bet yeah. the Players Association, you know, kind of says to the league, fuck you, players can do whatever they want. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Quinn, thank you so much for your call. Our last call is from Nick. So the Braves and the Astros are one win away from the World Series. The Braves are looking for their first win since 95, Astros since 2017. John, I assume you're rooting for the Dodgers pretty hard here, but do you see them coming back for a second straight year? And Emily... If the Astros get to their third World Series since 2017, whether they win or lose, doesn't that show that the cheating didn't really matter, that this team is just good? And do you think that will piss a lot of Yankee and Dodger fans off? Thanks, guys. Nick, you're 100% right. I am rooting hard for the Dodgers now. And uh, in a desperate bout of reverse psychology, because it's all I have left, I will say, <laughs> no, the Dodgers aren't going to come all the way back. God, I hope I'm wrong. And yeah, I do think that that's what that means. I mean, obviously, it's not the same exact team that it was in 2017. Uh, there are a bunch of new faces sprinkled in there, but that core is still the same. So I do think that that's what it'll show. But there's always going to be people that will... This is going to follow them forever, just like it's followed any other player that's been caught using steroids or whatever. This is never going to go away for them. They could win four World Series straight right now, and it's still going. That question is going to loom over them. That's the sad part. And I use that term loosely because, hey, they made their choices. Just like I say with A-Rod, these guys made the choices that they made. They took the risk, and it blew up in their faces. But... That's how it goes. Now this hangs over them for the rest of their career. So I think that, yeah, that's what's frustrating about those situations is that they didn't have to cheat. They would have been probably just as successful had they just not even bothered with that scheme. But you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. And that's why I think Altuve has gone about all of this the way he has is just keep your head down and just play hard and just be the player that everyone doesn't want you to be. And you can't control the narrative at this point, so they can just win, and that's what they've been doing. So, Nick, thank you so much for your call, and thank you to all of our callers. You guys are amazing. Anyone else listening wants to get in on the fun, feeling brassy, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call. 
631-820-7377. We are now only mere days away from the 2021 World Series, which sadly means we are mere days away from the 2021 offseason. And I am pretty sad about it. John, are you sad about this? We have to come up with an entire off-season's worth of content now? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Not only that, but we also have to figure out what the fuck we're going to watch from the hours of 7 p.m. until 1 a.m. every single night, <laughs> and from 1 p.m. until 1 a.m. on Saturdays and Sundays. And I'll say this. Emily is the most dramatically affected by this. Just for context, yesterday I, I asked her if she wanted to come over to my place to hang out. She was like, is the game going to be on? And I was like, well, yeah, yeah, we'll have the game on. And in my head, I read, I read between the lines, and I'm like, I don't have two TVs for her to watch the overlap. I don't think she's coming over tonight. <laughs> and he was right in that assessment. So trying to figure out what the fuck we're going to watch for the next few months has proved a, it was a little tricky at first, but we've gotten a nice list here. So our top six this week are the top six shows that we are most excited to watch this offseason. So, John, do you want to kick us off with number six? All right. So number six show that we are most excited to watch this offseason season is Foundation. I've heard a lot about this. I know it's based on uh, an Isaac Asimov either series or book or something. On Wikipedia, the description is so brief as to almost be meaningless. It says, Foundation, <laughs> <laughs> Foundation chronicles the thousand-year saga of The Foundation, a band of exiles who discover that the only way to save the galactic empire from destruction is to defy it. It sounds a little familiar. It sounds, you know, I mean, I don't want to say it's Star Wars, but it's probably not. I'll, I mean, the first time I saw uh, a trailer for it, I thought that it was a trailer for Dune. So clearly, I have no idea what I'm really getting into here. DJ Bingington recommended it. So I'm optimistic. I want to check it out. The number five show that I can't wait to check out. John has already seen the whole thing, but he is making sure that I watch it and enjoy it. Parks and Rec. We started watching, I think we got through the second season or maybe the middle of the second season last off season, and we obviously had to take a break for the whole baseball season. So now that we're coming to a close, we're going to pick that back up and I'm going to hopefully get through the whole series or at least a large chunk of it before April. Oh, you definitely will. Any of you Parks and Rec fans out there, Emily pushed her way through season one, you know, where they wrote Leslie like crap before they redid all the characters. <laughs> where she was just Michael Scott. Yeah, she hasn't met Chris Traeger yet. She hasn't met Ben Wyatt yet. Like, there's so much shit coming that she doesn't know. Emily is going to love this show, I promise you. All right, so uh, the number four show that we are looking forward to getting caught up on this offseason, What We Do in the Shadows. If you have not seen this show, I will go out on a limb. So no, it's not even a limb. It is the funniest comedy on TV right now. Yeah, without question. Casting is incredible. The concept is incredible. It's, It's got that improvisational kind of feel to it, but it's all really... They really, uh, they, they stay true to the, the aesthetic of what they're going for. It's a series of, it's a vampires living in Staten Island, hilariously out of touch. It, it's fantastic. Um... I've seen a few episodes of the current season, but, you know, all this baseball and stuff. I'm going to go back to the beginning of season three, watch the whole thing. I'm sure Emily will join me. And Oh, hell yeah. It's, it's just, it's so funny. I cannot recommend that show highly enough if you're not familiar. What We Do in the Shadows on FX. We're not getting paid for that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good that we, half joking, half for real, consider doing a Breaking Shadows podcast where we would just talk about the show and new episodes. <laughs> 
The number three show that we cannot wait to watch this offseason, season two of The Righteous Gemstones. This is another show that we can't recommend enough. It's on HBO. When you start watching it or if you read the description online, what you think it's going to be about, it's not going to be that. I can promise you. I had total preconceived notions going into this. It's about a family that are like a, a Joel Olstein sort of situation. They, you know, are the uh, proprietors of mega churches. So I thought it was going to be something. It's hilarious. It's amazing. I cannot wait for the second season. I not to speak for you, but I imagine it was just as fun watching me watch it for the first time and like slowly realize what the show was really about. <laughs> oh yeah, it's the best. Oh, fantastic! All right, so the number two show that we're looking forward to getting caught up on, Squid Game. Now, Emily might not join me for this one. I've heard it's a little violent. It's a little graphic. That's on her bag. All good. I'm a wuss. Yo, I, I this this show is everywhere. The memes, the references, it, it's constant. I don't understand any of it. I've been trying to like navigate in between and like not have any spoilers. <laughs> I know the rough idea. It's like Battle Royale, Hunger Games-esque, like simple games, but the loser dies type thing. I don't know anything beyond that, but I, I, I need to watch it. I've only heard good things. Even just like, <laughs> I'm finding this with more and more things as I get older, just to get the freaking pop culture references. <laughs> I need to watch this show. You need to do what I do. When it's stuff that you don't like or you don't want to watch, but everyone else does, you just got to go on Wikipedia, get the gist, then you can understand the pop culture references. If, if, if I'm not hooked in an episode or two, that is 100% the strategy. The number one show that we cannot wait to catch up on in the offseason is the much-heralded Ted Lasso. I've heard from basically everyone I know, with the exception of John and DJ Bingington, that this show is fucking awesome. It's feel good. You're going to love it. It's just, you, you leave the episodes with like a smile on your face and I'm just ready for some wholesome content like that. I mean, I've liked Jason Sudeikis since his SNL days. So that's a, that's an easy sell for me. And I don't like soccer, but it's still a sell to me. And that's how I was much say, you know you I want to watch this shit. You don't like soccer or football, which I'm pretty sure is what Ted Lasso is a coach <laughs> of. <laughs> But we so do like comedy, crossed. so, you know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that about wraps it up for Breaking Walls this week. We want to thank all of our listeners. You guys are awesome. And, of course, our callers, anyone else listening, wants to get in on the fun, feeling brassy, give the Breaking Balls hotline a call. 631-820-7377. You can also find us on Twitter, at BreakBallsPod, and we are close to 1,300 followers, so go ahead and smash that follow button. And we want to thank our amazing and talented producer and engineer, DJ Bingington. You can find him on Twitter as well, at DJ B-I-N-G-I-N-G-T-O-N. And we will catch you guys next week.